most communities will actually use this tree as a as a as a wall between um, one community and another, one house and another, not knowing that it's literally one of the world's most densely rich superfoods. And so, through training, we actually are able to um, help resolve the malnutrition issues within Haiti. This podcast is brought to you by Alda, where we connect you with some of your favorite sustainable brands. Be sure to check us out at alda.life or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Alda Lifestyle. Oh, I almost forgot something. Protect your wild. Welcome, everyone, to the Protect Your Wild podcast. I'm your host today, Colin Campbell. Avinash is unfortunately out, but we're here with a special guest, uh, Ryan Robinson of Combe Haiti. Thanks for joining us, Ryan. Hey, guys. It's good to be here. Thank you for having us. Awesome. So Ryan's been doing a lot of great work in, in uh, community development in Haiti. So I was wondering if you could tell us, uh, just first off, on your background a little bit and what kind of uh, inspired the work that you're doing today? Yeah, so <clears throat> currently I work in Haiti. Um, that was never really a long-term goal, even working internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, grew up kind of traveling the East Coast, just my dad's job being relocated. Uh, grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, went to Columbus, Ohio, back down to Jacksonville, Florida, graduated in Louisville, Kentucky. To three different schools, made my way down to Alabama, um, and eventually graduated with a degree in business management from the University of South Alabama. Um, And I really just kind of wanted to do business and wanted to grow in that. Mm -hmm. And there was kind of this, I don't know how to really put words to it, this discontent that I had with kind of the system, everything that was uh, going on around me, just the way that people just flew through life. and they only really knew how to speak to their own country, their own element, not even really their own country, but just their little pocket of, of, the, of the, their country. I just realized I know absolutely nothing about the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I met this amazing girl who, spoiler alert, became my wife. Um, <laughs> and at the time, she wanted to drag me to Tanzania. Um, and then after I got to know her, like a week later, I decided I definitely wanted to go to Tanzania, East Africa with her. Um, and so we went for kind of a service trip abroad um, between our spring and our um, our fall terms, and we just went to Tanzania, East Africa for three months. Uh, just found a, a mission. Uh, we didn't really know anything about them. Just asked them if, if we could come and just serve. Um, and so we did. Didn't really have. I'd never traveled before. I'd never been on a mission trip or anything like that. So we just, um, yeah. Just dove right in. We just went, and we just experienced life with um, a people group from around the world who are just so similar to us. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I just spent three months um, in Tanzania drinking boiled water that tasted like charcoal. Um, we didn't really change their dishes. They're just exhausted from doing around-the-clock work. It's just all um, Tanzanians and, and a couple of Ugandans and Kenyans that were doing local ministry. So it was really neat because they're all local, um, minus maybe a handful of other East Africans. They're all local to their village. And so they're actually doing these really advanced community development initiatives. 
um, mm. teaching advanced tech schools, carpentry schools, gardening schools, um, had their own primary and secondary education schools. And so we just basically kind of cleaned up the schools in the afternoon and just give them a break because they did everything right. from teaching the school, cooking, cleaning up in the afternoon, all of them jumping in with other areas. And so we kind of just got to see from a kind of fly on the wall perspective what it was like for locals to do community development. And it's unparalleled to anything that um, that my wife and I ever would be capable of doing in another context, in another community that was not our own. And so we just really both were able to see from a healthier perspective what community development was. Mm-hmm. And also we just developed a heart for clean drinking water because we drank boiled hot um, water that tasted like charcoal. It's just boiled in an open charcoal right. stove. You're not used to um, it at all. Of no, I was not used to that. <laughs> and I guess the issue was uh, in Tanzania, it's hot, and so the water never really cools down. <laughs> right. and so you never really have cool, refreshing water. Yeah. And so, yeah, we just developed a heart for water, um, specifically through the lens of going going back to Tanzania to teach um, the staff that already did everything how to do water projects as well and to add it to their repertoire of what they do. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of started a drive in us, but we still had, I still had another two years of school left. And so um, we started moving towards that, but right. ended up not going back to Tanzania. We ended up um, making our way to Haiti, first of all. Yeah, I was going to say, how uh, did that first uh, trip to Haiti come about? Yeah, so it was the year of the earthquake. Um, we had, I, I had just graduated from school um, from my uh, bachelor's in business management. Uh, my wife, Stephanie, had just graduated from her bachelor's in community service. Um, and we knew that we wanted to lead the community development mission in some way. But we also knew that we know absolutely nothing about it. And right. so we just decided to be, to just um, voluntarily become follow followers for a while and so we found a group that um, did advanced water training um, water sanitation hygiene training and so we went through the group and just happened that their um, three-month outreach option was to Haiti of which we staunchly refused (laughs) until the last minute we both were just like okay yeah that sounds about right (laughs) yeah um we didn't want to go as the year of the earthquake was the height of the cholera epidemic this was 2010 Uh Uh um and we just thought there's no better place to put um local solution water projects to the test than in a place like Haiti where it's just so hurting because of uh, so many complications, but also especially um, the cholera epidemic on top of that. Right. And so, so, so yeah, that brought us to Haiti in 2010. Yeah. So what uh, kind of have been Haiti's biggest problems? I know they, they get hit with the earthquake, but on top of that, there's obviously um, poverty that's kind of been going on for, for a long time. But from what mm-hmm. I read, they get you know plenty of rainfall and so forth, but it's it's mostly around like sanitation issues or, um, yeah. What are, what have kind of been some of the the biggest challenges that Haiti as a country has been facing? Haiti is a is a complex animal, um, and you can ask, I mean, a thousand people around the globe that question and get a thousand different answers. Sure. Yeah. Um, from our perspective, uh, I'm a three on the Enneagram and a ENTJ on the Myers-Briggs. And so I really value truth and I really value, I don't care what it is. I just want to go for what I think is right, um, Mm -hmm. as objectively as possible. 
And so from day one, uh, before we ever hit the ground in Haiti, we just did as much research in Haiti as possible, um, any source we could find on Haiti. Um, upon getting into Haiti, we realized that we we're able to do qualitative research of a different kind via just relationships and talking to people on the ground. Um, and so, yeah, we just jumped into Haiti and realized uh, so many different things. Um, poverty is not at all what it seems. Um, there are so many misconceptions mm. that we have about poverty. We always assume laziness or lack of intelligence or lack of education even. Um, and it's just not that. There's so many people that are um, that are educated, and I've never met a harder working people group in my life. And so just through our studies, we realized that, one, Haiti has one of the most tumultuous histories um, that we've ever been able to research. Um, the nation was literally founded on genocide. And so, wow. I mean, the implications of that, um, founded on genocide and then becoming one of the most harsh slave conditions in modern human history. Um, becoming the first um, nation to actually revolutionize and um, become their own independent nation. Um, and so Haiti actually, from the start, was just, I mean, had one challenge over another that they overcame. When they actually gained their independence, um, in order to be recognized as an independent nation to the rest of the nations during the time, um, this is early 1800s, uh, France declared that they would have to pay their debt um, which I believe at the time was 70 million francs um, and mm. now is equivalent to 20 plus billion. I don't remember the exact equation. Um, mm. And so they, they paid it off. And somehow, despite all of that, Haiti was actually the wealthiest nation in the Caribbean in the 1950s. Really? Um, and at that time, the Dominican Republic was actually one of the poor nations in the Caribbean. And this is about the time where um, the famous dictator, uh, Papa Doc Duvalier, took over in the late 50s. Um, okay. High promise for him to bring even more order, to move Haiti even more forward. Um, but he declared himself president for life. Um, at the end of his life, he put his son in the presidency for life. Um, and things just continue to get more complicated Fast track. Uh, son left the country with the, the country's bank accounts, um, several coups and um, and assassinations took place. Other dictators hopped and in. This is the this seat. is all after slavery, right? And all after this the is independence. So 150 the years post slavery. Years. Yeah, yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah, this is 1950. Wow. So Haiti had about 40 years of um, on mostly on and off dictators, um, mm -hmm. and then the U.S took one of their, it's debatable whether it's a dictator, depending on which nation you're talking to. Generally, I've, I've seen that Americans think that um, the last president taken out was a dictator, and Haitians <clears throat> think that he's not a dictator. Um, mm. And that might just be cultural differences in the definition. Um, sure. But basically, he was taken out of office, and Haiti was has become a republic just only since 2004, I believe was the year. Okay. Um, and during that 50-year span, um, Haiti became for, went from one of the wealthiest nations in the Caribbean, um, which was able to produce over 90% of the world's coffee supply and over 80% of the world's sugarcane supply. Um, they became what is now the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere and the fourth poorest nation in the world um, post-earthquake. Wow. In 2012, they're wow. said to be um, the poorest nation in the world from a Fox News article. And so it's not really specifically the disasters that we've seen that have caused the poverty. Um, it's a lot of the political just, strife I mean, and 
political lack strife, of stability yeah. kind of across the board, like as a as a country, kind of as a whole. And then on top right. of that, you get hit with natural disaster right. that then you know rocks. You know, natural disasters like Japan, it it rocks first world countries, but um, it does, yeah. Which have the infrastructure to bounce back from those things, and right. Haiti just doesn't. Right. But we've seen that poverty really is just the response of. I mean, it's just oppressive relationships that um, that keep people from being able to bounce back. Um, yeah. And so that's just the dictatorships just took all the hope and all the power away from the people, um, and they just never were able to get it back. And so it's moving right. forward, um, mm-hmm. but the address the issues that need to be addressed are not, you know, earthquake and natural disasters. There needs to be local leadership and, and local mm-hmm. initiative and the people having that hope and power again. Right. Cause and they're more than the, capable. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's where the, the like sustainable community development right. comes in order to allow people to be their own leaders and to, to take control kind of of their, their own circumstance and on the local level. Which is so, right. So in right. setting Absolutely. that up, kind of, um, what what have been like some of your challenges? Like the, you know, ultimately it's a huge entrepreneurial endeavor, um, and then on top of that, you're you're doing this and, and setting it up, um, you know, in another country. So, what have kind of been uh, the challenges that have come along with that, and you know, what have what are some of your biggest takeaways? Yeah, it's. Uh... Well, we are a nonprofit that has its own challenges. Um, a nonprofit, most people just think any organization, NGO, or whatever. It's it's a business um, that has just different um, complications, especially in the tax arena. It's very easy to lose nonprofit status. And on top of that, you aren't really there's different types of nonprofits, obviously, but um, you're not really specifically the way that we have established ourselves. We're a charitable organization, so. Um, our goal isn't to be funded by our business. We're not. We're not a not for profit organization. We're a non profit organization. Um, okay. And so we do work to um, have some businesses on the side that actually through for profit organizations, um, just that we run separately from a legal perspective that help kind of pour into the non profit. Right. And so there's all these legal complications plus the fact that we work in such a different culture. Um, and then also have to share the workload from two different cultures. And so we have to abide by the laws of both countries and figure out how those play together. And yeah. so, yeah, we are a, a nonprofit micro enterprise um, and it's, it's complicated, but you know, we <laughs> love it. Yeah, did you did you have any challenges like kind of building trust within the community when you first came in? Because I I could see like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that in places like Haiti, I'd imagine there's potentially predatory nonprofits that come in as well and might, you know, not might might mm-hmm. just kind of over like take over things instead of empowering the community. Right. right. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And unfortunately, I think that uh, my wife and I um, and our our Western staff early on in our years um, also contributed to that. And I think, you know, no matter where you work around the world, you will not ever be a part of that culture, no matter how much you try to blend in, even if you have the skin tone to, to blend in, which in Haiti, I definitely do not. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so Get we've, we've made boy. our mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the time. 
So we've made our mistakes um, and we've come across many organizations that um, have changed with the times to be culturally sensitive. Um, and we've run across organizations that just definitely do not care about it at all. And we've actually mm-hmm. been um, been able to help remove um, just through our contacts and, and through our network, we've been able to remove some um, really immoral people um, running orphanages. Um, which is oh, not wow. our goal, but just we've Anything seen some horrible, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, we just do our best to learn as much as we can constantly, and um, and you know, when you know better, you do better. And so, our goal is always absolutely. just to you know learn as we go and keep on doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've I've, I've heard um, in a discussion with a. Uh, a mentor of mine who started a nonprofit for the Asian elephant, they're doing a lot of their work in India and mm-hmm. had, had kind of that, that feedback from the communities there that they'll get people coming in, um, not asking them questions or asking mm-hmm. how they right. would approach the solution because they have the most intimate knowledge of the problem. Right. So, right. Um, yeah, it's good to hear. I mean, the, you know, you learn from the lessons as you go along and constantly work to improve. Um, so, uh, how have you kind of been able to tie in, you know, sustainability in this, uh, in the, the community development efforts so that, you know, it can ultimately be self-sustaining without, you know, your involvement, so to speak. Yeah, that's a huge question. The sustainability factor, um, not to twist your words, um, but I feel like so many organizations try to tie in sustainability to their existing mission, their existing vision to kind of um, qualify them to keep working in an age where that is such a huge um, need. Um, I, don't, I don't really know why, but from the start, we just felt like everything that we need that we do needs to be sustainable. Um, and especially regarding the environment. And so our mission is actually that we partner with communities to create sustainable transformation by developing mm-hmm. the family, business, and the environment. Um, and so for a long time in development circles, there have been three pillars of development. And those are basically the society, um, economics, and the environment. Mm-hmm. And so those three pillars are needed to actually lift up any community at any point in time. And so if we do not focus on the environment, if we do not focus on the family um, or society, if we don't focus on business or economics, and then we're just lifting up one part of society that just, you know, it tips and falls. And so one of our major focuses is to focus on the environment. Um, And there's actually a lot of stats about Haiti that aren't true with the deforestation. I think during the Mm. major hurricane that hit in 2016, there was a news reporter that said Haitian children eat trees. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so there's been a, which is not true. Um, And so there's been a ton of, (laughs) there's been a ton of misconceptions. um, But the environment hasn't really been able to be stewarded as well as we believe that it should. And, you know, what we do in one nation ultimately affects um, the livelihood of others in every other nation around the world, whether we know it or not. And so mm-hmm. we believe that if we're not doing something to actually positively affect and change the environment or to kind of bring it back to the way that it should be, then we're not pulling our weight. We're not doing our part. And if anything, we're just causing more damage. Mm-hmm. And so we personally believe that 
you know, every person, organization, government should be doing their best to not just change their policies, but make every single system and policy that they have um, to become a sustainable system or policy for all future generations. Right, built around that long-term vision. Absolutely. <clears throat> right, yeah. And so I think sustainability has a few different, it's a huge buzzword right now, like development community. And I think it has a few different definitions. Um, sure. I think the typical definition is, you know, making things um, able to be continued in future generations. Um, I think the the dictionary definition would be, you know, being able to continue no matter kind of whatever you do. And so we actually try to hit all of those definitions. Um, you know, how can you, when you think of sustainability, you think of environmental factors. Uh, but I believe that there's sustainable practices within business and within the family as well, within right. any social structure. And so we actually focus on making sure that all of our programs are sustainable in the fact that, you know, they're locally run. Um, if I leave or die today, heaven forbid, will this thing continue? Um, and every single program that we have is locally run. It's not contingent upon me. And I might do the majority of the administrative work. I definitely don't do it all. We have a board of directors and a whole group of people um, that make this organization happen. Um, but we believe that every program and every pillar of our development strategy, every pillar of our mission needs to you know, be locally led and have a group of people, a group of local leaders that are running it. And we believe yeah. that that is also sustainable. Absolutely. Um, but talking about protecting your wild and protecting the earth and being a steward of that, um, our major focus is um, one of our three branches of operation is the environment. And so we believe in uh, restoring um, natural water sources. Mm -hmm. Haiti actually used to have 32 natural water sources, and now it only has two main natural water sources. Is that in and terms so of we believe in protecting springs, or or what defines the natural water <clears throat> source, like lakes, springs, rivers, kind of thing? That would be exactly yeah, lakes, springs, rivers. I don't know the full definition of it, but those are all right. included. Gotcha. And so now there's um, one major river and then a few offshoots, and then there are miniature aquifers um, or artesian wells that pop up every now and then. And so our group and the staff that work with us um, have, in the environment branch, have historically worked on preserving water sources. And now we can do so on a, on a pretty wide-scale impact level. And so mm -hmm. we focus on preserving water sources, creating water sources that actually don't exploit the environment. Um, one of the biggest ways you can protect existing water sources is through properly built septic tank um, sanitation systems. Right. Instead yes. of digging a, a dirt pit latrine, um, which eventually will contaminate um, the aquifer, we actually do septic tank systems. And most nice. people don't know this, most organizations don't know this, but unfortunately most organizations, foreign organizations are implicit in causing greater damage to the environment by digging dirt pit latrines or um, by other water-related practices or so, by so other be, environmental practices. Right. So other orgs would be, like, I guess, raising money or doing things to dig out, like, latrines instead of... Right. Just get as many as huh. you can done um, without knowing that um, when you have a large group of people using the same um, dug water source, everyone knows, basically, dirt filters waste. Um but what we don't realize is when you have a large latrine, pit latrine, which is just a dirt wall, and you have a large amount of people using it, all the liquid waste um, actually 
you know, always finds the path of least resistance will basically dig a, a, its own pipe into the aquifer. Um, mm. And in sub-Saharan Africa, the top three aquifers are almost always contaminated. Wow. Um, and so the United Nations has declared that the future of water sources in sub-Saharan Africa is rain catchment because the aquifers are so contaminated, it's hard to go, go deep enough to actually find a purified water source. Jeez. And so yeah. this is something that many organizations, local and foreign, are implicit in actually causing greater damage to the environment by just doing something with a good heart or not doing the research to understand the implications of what would be a good action. Right. It's and a so we do our act fast instead of yeah. acting smart. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so there's a way where you can do both. It's just through utilizing local leadership and and, and researching and setting what you're doing. And so the way that we apply our, our septic tank latrines, for example, we use the same style of pit latrine technology that Haitians do with a few twists to make it a better, more sustainable, long, longer lasting product. And so for us, it's an easy sell to the locals um, who yeah. you know, might not be in the state of mind to understand the long-term implications. If they're thinking about food and water today, they might not be thinking about water contamination in their aquifer and years to come. Right. And so we have to make the easy sell to them so that they'll, you know, want to actually do that project for themselves um, with our help. Um, but we also have to ensure that we know that's a sustainable method as well. Absolutely. Does that make so any on, sense? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, so it's it's like a familiar solution in a lot of ways, but with, right. with kind of a, you know, a, a next step, a next uh, evolution in the... The design, so to speak, I guess the product design, right, to make it right to make it last and to make a, the general impacts of it a lot less um, harmful to the the uh, water systems in the area. Right. But, yeah, that's fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, on that note, what are what are some of the like other projects that that you guys are doing for um, the the communities there? Yeah, so we have a few um, micro-enterprise businesses within our micro-enterprise nonprofit. Um, and one of those is we teach on uh, Moringa Oliveira, which is a current buzzword in the superfood community. Um, this is, the nickname is the Miracle Tree. Um, it's indigenous hmm. to India. Um, it's just recently being discovered in the West since the maybe 70s or so. Um, but the leaves of this tree are one of the most holistic food sources known to man. Um, and so we actually, and you can use all parts of the tree, the roots, the, the pods, you can use um, the seed pods, you can use the bark, I mean, the flowers, you can use the whole tree. No known allergens on the tree at all. And so we do this as wow. a business to help support the nonprofit um, through our own organic gardens and that, you know, is providing jobs locally. Um, but we also train the uh, local community on Moringa and how they can utilize that food source. Because um, one of Haiti's complex issues is malnutrition. And so mm. there's this tree that most communities use as a fence because it's such a fast-growing tree and you can just literally cut a branch off the tree, put it in the ground, and it, you have another tree. And so right. most Jeez. communities will actually use this tree as a, as a, as a wall between um, one community and another, one house and another not knowing that it's literally one of the world's most densely rich superfoods. And so through training, we actually are able to um, help resolve the malnutrition issues within Haiti. Right, um, utilizing what's already there. And Haiti there. is such yeah. training that really, yeah, exactly. 
and in Haiti, it's, it's training that really is the most effective means for reaching a population. And so we have um, uh, an awesome Haitian guy that runs the Moringa business and does a ton of training, and we actually tie that in with our water program. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is all of our environment initiative. And so whenever we teach on water sanitation and hygiene, we also teach on Moringa as well. Um, and the tree has just so many cool things. It's uh, one of two plants in the world that's a has a natural flocculent within it. Hmm. And so you can actually take the seed outside of the seed and the wafer of the seed to a turbid water source, a dirty water source, and all of the dust will actually settle to the bottom of the <laughs> water container um, because of the chemical property of the seed itself. The wow. seed tastes... It's horrible. You should never eat it. <laughs> um, it's amazing what it does to the water. And so then you just have to use a solar disinfectant method or boil the water. Um, but you can take a fully muddy water source and you all the particulates out. Use moringa seeds, which just grow like and actually clean your water source. Wow. Yeah. And so we do a lot of local training with stuff like that. That's awesome. What a plant. Jeez. I had no yeah. idea. I didn't know yeah. that existed. I looked because I, I knew... It sounded familiar, and we, we had uh, that as a part of kind of one of our points for the, the two truths and a lie game that we'll do later, but uh-huh. um, or soon. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that, that's that's like incredible. Um, yeah. The, the natural. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Jeez, yeah. Yeah, um, and there's local solutions like that all over the place. I mean, there's right. so many amazing resources that are already in Haiti, that are already here. Um, and it's just a matter of. <laughs> of finding the right locals to do the training um, and just standing with them and their leadership to be able to kind of reach the masses. Yeah, so has like, I, I guess it seems like uh, in a lot of cases, the, the education side of things is like, you know, just as important as the infrastructure side, you know, back to the teach mm-hmm. a man to fish versus, you know, give a man a fish, right? Right. Yeah, that's yeah. absolutely, and it's amazing how many people in our generation don't really know that proverb. Um, <laughs> right. And then, <laughs> and Haiti is, yeah. We, my wife likes to say this. She likes to say, "Teach a man a fish, um, feed him for a day, give him in, uh, or teach." Sorry, <laughs> I messed the whole thing up. Give <laughs> a man want. a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man a fish, feed him for a lifetime. Um, mm-hmm. But in Haiti, most people don't have access to a water source. They don't have access to the river, the pond, the lake, or the ocean. Um, mm-hmm. Through systemic injustice, through um, political means, through whatever it is, on component, you also have to, you know, as a foreigner, we have to work in partnership with our nation. Um, actually, our nation and those who have been influenced by kind of policies that help bring access um, and help equalize the ground for others which truly is the source of poverty it's not having equitable footing it's those with power standing over top those without right but yeah empowering those the local communities really does seem like the 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 answer um so the the last kind of the last question i have before we get to uh the game here is what are some of the most common misconceptions that you know people in america particularly have about haiti as you mentioned the kids don't eat trees <laughs> they are don't eat other, trees. <laughs> are there any other interesting things uh, that you've, you've just heard in your time that uh you know make made you scratch your head a little bit 
Oh man, we've heard so many outlandish things over the years. Um, <laughs> I don't even know where to begin. There's so many. Um, so the tree thing is one is is pretty good. That's pretty obvious. Um, That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I think another misconception on a more serious note is that um, poverty is not caused by laziness or by lack of education or intelligence. Even mm-hmm. um, this is easily one of the most hardworking, um, intelligent people group. I mean, nobody has to be more street smart than, um, than someone growing up in Haiti. Um, no one has to know how to protect themselves and take care of themselves and stand with their family more than somebody growing up in this environment. Um, and I've never met workers who are harder working or more savvy than Haitians, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's one of the huge misconceptions is that is not the source of poverty. It's, you know, it's equality, it's power distance, it's um, so many different things, it's injustice. Right. Um, and yeah, there's so many misconceptions um, I wish I had some good ones just on the top of my head. I think it is, though, building off of that, really people looking at the context from a generally ignorant stance um, and, you know, going off of that and making a lot of assumptions about the people as individuals almost. Right. Um, And that's, you know, obviously a problem uh that 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 hopefully americans can get over and start yeah uh you know through travel like like the experience that you had when you were younger right that's i think one of the best ways that people can you know identify realize that it's you know we're all just people um (laughs) and you get to relate with and identify with others even if you don't speak the same language you know laughter is is the same in every language right so it really is things like that yeah. Yeah, and we're all fundamentally more similar than we are different. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd say one of the other misconceptions is that um, Haiti is a only or solely violent place. Um, tomorrow, there's actually a scheduled manifestation or riot, which seems to be all that Haiti is known for recently: earthquakes and hur- uh, hurricanes and riots. Um, Haiti is a complicated place and there's so many misconceptions on their riot system. And so basically what you have here is 95 to 99% of the wealth of the nation is owned by what some this population owns 95 to 99% of the wealth in Haiti they control everything and they have their hand or are directly involved in every part of um, the political arena. And so they own all the businesses, they own the entire infrastructure, they control and determine everything. Um, and so, so for the last decade at least, um, the government has received a grant, has been supposed supposed to do development work with this grant um, in what they call the Petro Carib. Um, it's a Venezuelan um, I guess, development initiative where they gave oil or money or so many different things, um, hoping that the governments would do development work. So tomorrow there is a manifestation. The people are saying, hey, where's the money you are accountable for doing development work within our nation? And so there is a a Facebook group, WhatsApp group, um, plans riot where they actually put immovable roadblocks at every point across the nation. It's highly organized and coordinated. And the goal is to 
um, the infrastructure of the nation long enough so that the politicians who are the business owners um, have their pockets hurting just enough so that they'll respond to our voice. And right. so without having a voice in government, the mid majority of the population that actually respond to those injustices through their riot system. And so the goal okay. isn't violence. And, you know, sometimes it does get out of hand, which is more rare. Um, but the goal is that it'll actually create a political response. Um, it's, right. it's Haitian lobbying, really. Yeah, and so that's planned for tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's one of the of, huge misconceptions around Haiti. Right. Yeah. A lot of people, like myself included, if I hear the word riot, you like associate more with like anarchy than with organized, right. you know, <laughs> event. Right. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's definitely important for people to know because our, you know, our media likes to sensationalize things and <laughs> right. you know, we'll only point out the, the craziest shit that'll happen somewhere or another and not really i don't know dig dig deeper a lot of times so that yeah yeah that's very good to know. yeah so when i get off the podcast i'll have to go and get uh, another five gallons of gas for our generator because mm-hmm. the gas station will probably be shut down for about three days so oh wow that's just a plan for it plan in advance for the riot yeah yeah it's good to yeah. be in in the know in that then you don't get caught off guard yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> cool. Um, so now we're we're gonna play the game that we play with all of our guests. Uh, have you oh, played or heard of Two Truths and a Lie before? Yes, I'm afraid I'm probably horrible at it, <laughs> which makes for <laughs> good entertainment. Yeah, yeah, it'll be all right. At the at the the worst, um, you might embarrass yourself a little bit, but everybody will learn something in the process, right? That's, yeah, I'm <laughs> that's, sure that's, that's gonna that's happen. Cool. Let's count on that. <laughs> Um, so for, for any listeners that don't know, basically, um, we'll do three rounds. Uh, each one has three facts, quote unquote, but one of those facts is indeed a lie. So, um, what Ryan is going to do for us, hopefully, uh, and this is all kind of in the realm in the, about Haiti and in that area. Um, so, uh, you'll walk us through kind of your reasoning and then you know pick out make a guess on which one is the lie all right sweet um so let's dive right into uh round one here Um, all right let's go for it so the first fact i got is uh approximately 1.1 billion people or one in seven uh lack access to safe water worldwide um the second uh, water sanitation and hygiene has the potential to prevent at least 9.1% of global disease burden and 6.3% of all deaths. And the last, uh, Haiti is in the top 10 highest infant mortality rates uh, in the world. Oh man, that's a hard one. This three truths and a lie is more like a <laughs> what is my knowledge of current events and trivia? Yeah. Okay, so the first one is yeah. So the first one is um water is responsible for one point one or one point one billion are without access to water around the world. To safe water. To safe yeah. water around the world. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the last one is um top ten for infant mortality rate. Right, right. Yeah. And the second one is 9% of, um, was it 9% of deaths around the world? Uh, 9% of the 
global disease burden. So I, I guess the cause of uh, 9% of diseases, I suppose, is from uh, unsanitary water um, and poor sanitation. And then 6.3% of uh, deaths. 6.3% of deaths. That one, I'm not sure how it stacks up percentage-wise, but I know that water, um, sanitation, hygiene causes is um, the number one highest killer in the world, more than any form of violence, including war, um, water, lack of, or I guess dirty water diseases from water kill more than AIDS, malaria, and measles combined. So I know it's highly wow. potent, but I don't know how it stacks up to, you know, combining everything together. Right. There's so a lot say of things that could kill feasible. people. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'd say that's feasible. Um, okay. And the infant mortality rate in Haiti, I think it would have to be, you know, plus or minus five there. So that's also definitely feasible. And I can't remember the stat on how many have access to, safe water around the world but i would have to say i would think that that would be the lie i think it would be okay. less than that so I, the I good news here no that is high oh, like, I, I was thinking okay it was okay sorry it's cut it cut in and out there for a little bit but okay um, i was saying i think that the the first one is 700 million seven to eight hundred million is the sound how many have access to safe is it how many have access to safe water or don't have access to safe water have do or uh, do not have access to safe water. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to say that's yeah. the lie. I think that's 800 million. Okay. So here's the good news is that Haiti's infant mortality rate is much better than top 10. That's the good news. Um, so, okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad yeah. to be wrong then. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, Haiti actually ranked uh, number 36, which is. All uh, right. You know, not not too bad, generally speaking. It probably means that there's a a lot of care put into the the birthing process, although there's limited resources, I'd imagine. Um, but yeah, so I mean, the the point on that is just that uh, the water crisis it really is global. You know, it's not just in Haiti. Um, there's there's mm-hmm. the the fact that a billion, which is you know like a seventh of the world's population, it doesn't have access to safe water is you know from an American standpoint, kind of crazy because, you know, just about every room in the house has, you know, water and clean water and temperature regulated water. And Uh so it's, um, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty, pretty unreal. Round two. So first fact, uh, 9% of the coral reefs of the world are present in the Caribbean. Uh, with an area of about 19,000 square miles or 50,000 square kilometers, whichever metric you ride by. (laughs) Um, Fact number two, uh, only 2% of the Caribbean islands are actually inhabited. Um, So a vast majority of the islands in the Caribbean are not inhabited. And number three, uh, the sea in the Caribbean has uh, the lowest salinity of any sea. <laughs> I know these are a lot of these are very random, but uh... <laughs> yeah, man, wow, those are some tricky, tricky questions. <laughs> um, I don't think I would have the first idea how many <laughs> coral reef are in the Caribbean. Um, so if it's not exactly nineteen thousand, I guess that's a lie. <laughs> 
sure. 9%, okay. I can imagine, I can see it having um, a high percentage of coral reef just being that many volcanic, um, volcanic, you know, islands. Yeah. Um, the next one, 2% are uninhabited islands. Um, are only two percent of the islands in the Caribbean are inhabited? Is that right? Are only two percent? Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I presume that includes wow. every every little island that you know is out there. Yeah, I have no idea. I know whenever I um, fly from Haiti, I fly over the Bahamas and think of all the islands that are that look uninhabited that I like to <laughs> hop True. on. So I know there's a lot, but I've never been there, so I don't know how many. True. Um, and then what was the last one again? The last is uh, the Caribbean Sea, the Caribbean, I'm going to pronounce it both ways, uh, has the lowest salinity levels uh, of any sea. I would actually think that that was more the lie um, than the other two. Okay. Just you based on... Right. You nailed it. All right. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, yeah, I don't know, you float so much. The water in the Caribbean is like oh, yeah. 80 degrees, and you float like nothing else. So it's always super high salinity. Nice. Yeah, so that, I mean, that that round is going to be your uh, your vacation. It's my second grade. I'm at 50-50. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so here's our, our last round here. Um, okay. And this, this one is, is mostly all about... Oh no! This this is the one with the the moringa thing. Um, oh sweet! Yeah, from before. Uh, so, fact number one: uh, the average American uses nearly three times as much water as the average Haitian. <clears throat> number two: a single serving of moringa provides nearly half of your daily required iron. Um, and the last one. Uh, a catchment tank uh, generally holds uh, 50, between 1,500 and 2,500 gallons of water and costs between 500 to $1,000 to uh, create. All right. Well, I know that, that last stat uh, is true because I'm pretty sure I wrote that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was thinking that might be right off your website. Um, <laughs> yeah, I almost stopped you during the first three times more water than Haitians do. I'm gonna say that's the lie. Yep. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh to to put things into perspective again for Americans or people in the West where we have so much, you know, easy access to it, partly because of that convenience we use uh an incredible amount more than we really need to if you look at mm -hmm. you know, what what you actually need versus what's you know, what you use for conveniences. Um, and yeah, again, Moringa, I guess is a superfood. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, uh, just to put into perspective as well, how donations can really go a long way. Um, these, these, the water, uh, tanks really do make a big impact on communities, presumably. And, um, you know, between five hundred and thousand dollars, like that's probably what, or like less than what families spend on their kids and in, in Chris for Christmas. You know, on video games and technology and toys. Yeah. So sweet. Well, yeah, you run. You won two rounds out of three. Um, 
so that's that's fantastic and hopefully uh you know our listeners and everybody learn a little bit of something about water and crisis in haiti and its impact around the world in the process um so uh in conclusion we have a last uh final few questions here for you um the the first is uh obviously uh you mentioned at the top of the episode that you didn't really feel satisfied you know doing work uh that wasn't really helping people you know that 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 wasn't Mm -hmm. really connecting with you so how has doing such uh altruistic work kind of have had a positive impact you know on your own life yeah um what first of all absolutely has um I guess how is always the more difficult question. I th- I would have to say um, it's not the work that has really positively affected me. Um, I think that you can do this work and end up a more bitter, broken, hurtful, in pain, burned out person, which unfortunately is highly common for um, NGO workers, missionaries, etc., mm-hmm. working in Haiti specifically. I don't can't say for the rest of the world, but I know for sure in Haiti. Um, but we have surrounded ourselves, uh, my wife and I, and our organization, Call Me Haiti, with just incredible people of outstanding character. And so just being with um, graceful and trusting um, nationals of another nation um, has just completely opened up my eyes to the rest of the world, to my own ethnocentrism, to my own racism um, that I didn't even realize was in there. And I think, unfortunately, just, you know, growing up in, in such a divided nation, um, we like to say that, you know, we don't see color or whatever it is um, to kind of avoid the conversation. But, you know, everyone has their own biases built in and, you know, working with another people group forces you to face those head on. And you realize that, yes, I have had those biases and they're totally, totally false. Um, and so... Working here has caused me to face kind of the worst things about me and um, and have graceful friends on this side uh, who actually walk with me to come to the other side of the church. And so I'll say the people have really, the people here just being amazing have just really transformed me. Um, and it really jumping into a people group and getting to know the culture and just diving right in and really learning from that culture is what's going to impact you. Um, so that's Absolutely. how it's impacted me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. And the, especially the, the insight about, you know, it's not like you're raised like racist or had any malintent in that, but it's certain mm-hmm. biases you have just through lack of exposure usually. Right. And right. it's, it's more around, I think, you know, ignorance based off of a limited experience as opposed to, you know, any, anything in your heart. That's, that's mm-hmm. all. Um, absolutely so yeah that, that that's a really really um really good insight that i i don't even think about or hadn't <laughs> thought about really in, in my yeah. own kind of self-exploring um so uh another question we have here that we we like to ask all of our guests um and we always get different kind of interesting takes on it uh, how would you go about you know explaining the idea of sustainability um to you know a toddler or a a young child (laughs) or to michael scott being a (laughs) five-year-old or exactly (laughs) to quote the office um i would say yeah (laughs) explain it to me like i'm a five-year-old 
I would say sustainability is basically doing our best to make the world a better place uh, for years to come. It's thinking about you as the toddler or the five-year-old and not um, myself only. It's not thinking about my profits, um, my business, my end game, or even just the generation to come. Um, it's not thinking about my house or my retirement. It's thinking about what will this planet look like in 500 years, 1,000 years. Um, mm-hmm. Even in 20 years, what will it look like if you know global warming is a real thing and sea level rise can actually go up to uh, 170 feet, something around there is, is the maximum potential for sea level rising with all the water sources um, merging. How would that affect, affect the world? And so... I would just say, yeah, sustainability is looking at the future generation's needs and making sure that everyone around us is working towards making this a better planet. Absolutely. Not just continuing on the same path, but making it a better planet. Yeah, yeah. And I, that's, that's a great point in the broad sense that there's so many ways that you can do that as a person develops that um, as long as the goal is just generally making sure the planet's a better place in the long run, mm-hmm. um, then hopefully they'll they'll lead lives around that. Um, yeah, and I think we can all do that, no matter whether you're in politics or whether you're a teacher right. or whether you run an NGO or a for-profit business. Everyone can play their part and has to and Absolutely. should. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so any uh, last words of advice, I guess, that you have for you know people out there, hopefully they're, they're listening and maybe want to make a positive impact and, and want to do something to make the world a better place, but just maybe don't know where to get started or how to how to get their yeah. feet wet yeah i would say uh, just go for it um pick the thing that just Full makes sense. you most excited pick the thing that scares you the most and just yeah. go for it um and i think we come from a generation that just wants to do everything we're the the wonderless generation we want to go everywhere and see everything um which is awesome and i want to do that too um, but Combi Haiti wouldn't be what it is, wouldn't exist if I just went on every whim um, and traveled whenever I wanted to. And my mm-hmm. passport, it <laughs> basically has two countries on there, um, back and forth. And, you know, I do want to see the rest of the world, but the dedication to this place is what's allowing uh, our organization to have fruit. And that's definitely not just myself. It's um, It's partnering with other people that have that heart to just be dedicated to a goal and to a vision. And that's kind of a lost art for a generation is, is dedication yeah. and perseverance to a goal, a task. We're and so I'd say go uh, for it, but, but focus yeah. on something. Yeah. Stick to that's it. a great point. Yeah. We're in, we're in a very like instant gratification kind of world. Yeah. Um, and things almost never work out that fast in real life, especially oh, like no. any, anything that's worth, worth having and worth doing is worth, you know, working your butt off for. Um, right so you shouldn't expect uh things to immediately go your way you should expect to see some adversity but above all else uh yeah what you open with don't don't rule your life off of uh not doing things because you're afraid in fact do quite the opposite (laughs) if something scares you but you truly believe it's going to be good for you good for your heart um good for good for your motivation for for finding a direction in your life and then mm-hmm. you know go ahead and do it take that dive yeah That's absolutely great. yeah well um 
Thank you so much, Ryan. Um, last thing, I guess, is there anything particularly that you want to plug, have people go to, um, social media, website, all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'd love for people to check us out, to get involved, to want to come down or um, support a water project or just want to partner with us in some way. Um, but really, the main thing is, you know, the world just needs advocates, needs people that are willing to stick to a cause, needs people that are willing to invest um, not just money and not just time, but their energy, their heart, their knowledge, their training. Um, and we don't need just American solutions brought across the world. We need to invest our time and energy into other cultures to get to know them, to learn from them. And so I would just say, yeah, if there's any plug I could I can make it's yeah check us out but really just try to get involved somewhere in the thing that you're passionate in um, because the world needs more people that will do just that <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah um, and with that again thank you Ryan I think uh, we all not only learned a lot but I'm definitely kind of re-motivated to to uh, push towards towards my mission and uh, remember everybody protect your wild Special thanks to my good friend Valleys for our incredible theme song. If you want to check him out, go to Spotify or SoundCloud and type in V-A-L-L-E-Y-Z.